0: If you hear this message, wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, I'm calling every man, we're the generation who cannot fall to wait, the future started yesterday, and we're already late. Dad, I really miss you, every day, and this episode is for you, you taught me to be patriotic and to love America every day. So we're doing this one for you. Let's get the show started. Hello, 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 and cha-cha-cha. Hi, friends. This is Alex Townsend, and this is once again the Aspie Files coming to you from our studios in Southwest Florida. And can I just say, God bless America, and I hope all of you are all doing well um, as we are entering a new America and I would say a new world. Uh, one of my professors from FGCU reminds me that we are not American first. We are global citizens first. She always reminded me of that from, um, the very, very moment. Um, I mentioned that to her. She, um, I had her for two classes, um, in my last two years of college. I had her for interviewing and communication and gender. Interviewing, which, by the way, is a class everyone should take when they are in college because you learn how to write a resume, write a cover letter, survive a job interview. I don't know why they don't offer it at the high school level. That surprises me. As did um, someone that was um, in the second class, communication and gender, where you learn about uh, the difference between men and women and how they communicate with each other, um in the workforce and outside of the workforce and I mean that class was just it opened my eyes up to the world it really really did um and I wound up TAing for uh, Professor Norris um the following semester in an interviewing class that she took I would say we had the advantage in interviewing because we never had to take uh quizzes or tests I will say that uh they had to take quizzes, the, the class that I TA'd, but they were good kids and they wanted to learn. And they also put their cell phones away when we told them to. We, <laughs> so that was a good thing. But, um, I don't want to just talk about my college years, although we could do a whole episode on that. But I want to talk about, um, the inaugural that happened on uh, Wednesday, January 20th. I called it a celebration of America. And essentially, um, it was a beautiful day, it was, um, a beautiful ceremony, um, and the thing I want to talk about that will unite us, like I like to talk about what brings us together, what we have in common, is the music of America. And I was talking to a friend of mine um, who's going to interview me uh, later, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, he, um, what brings us together, I believe, honestly, is music. And I saw that showcase very, very well in the ceremony um, on Wednesday. I, um... Saw Lady Gaga performing the uh, start the, the national anthem, and I, mean, I have to say she did it beautifully. Um, I first heard when I first heard her um, so many years ago. I just thought to myself, you know what? She's really talented. She's very unique. She stands out from the crowd. I remember being uh, in middle school when Britney Spears came on the scene. It was Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Mandy Moore, Jessica Simpson, and I'm not knocking them because I think Christina Aguilera is very talented. I think Jessica's very talented. You know, Britney's had some great jams that have made us dance. But you know, what I like about Lady Gaga is she had that genuine talent. She just had that voice that just went in. Oh my God, so many different directions. But what she did with the national anthem, which is what I think, if you're going to sing it, you're going to sing it with a dose of of patriotism but also with authenticity, because on this stage, they're gonna sense if you're phony or if you're giving too much. And what I picked up with her is she just nailed it. I mean, I was very moved by it. And it was the same when JLo did uh, This Land Is Your Land and then later added in America The Beautiful, two very, very difficult songs to sing. I will admit, I actually did not know of This Land Is Your Land until 2009, when I saw Bruce Springsteen perform it with Pete Seeger on the, um, um, uh, Lincoln Memorial concert for, uh, the incoming, uh, Barack Obama uh, presidency. And I remember, um, hearing them sing that and I'm singing along too, uh, cause Pete was giving everybody the words cause he's under the assumption. Eh, some people might not know this. So let's, let's give them, let's give them, um, the lyrics. And it just sounded beautifully. And so I never forgot that moment. Um, and I never forgot J-Lo on stage. She was performing um this beautiful song. Now, we know J-Lo for great songs like If You Had My Love, Waiting for Tonight, um, I'm Real, Ain't It Funny. But we primarily know her for songs that you dance to, songs that you hear at the club on Friday, Saturday night. You know, you're taking on, and into a good extent. Lady Gaga is with that too. But what I liked seeing was them go in a different, different range knowing what they had to do for that particular moment on that stage and it was very moving to see and then took it another step further with my man Garth Brooks who I've been listening to since I was three, four years old I remember being in my grandmother's house growing up um, hearing Friends in Low Places and If Tomorrow Never Comes and the thunder rolls he gets up on that stage and takes off his cowboy hat And by the way, he has a lot more hair these days than he did when I was a kid. And he um, did Amazing Grace. And it was so moving and so authentic. And again, it goes back to... It's about selling the song with honesty, not phoning it in, not hamming it up. And I also love that he got the... um, audience to sing along with the people that were there, Republicans, Democrats, men, women, children of every demographic um, and every faith. And what I've learned from Garth Brooks is this. He tells you to sing. You better sing. And so there's some of his songs and some of his songs. And I grew up listening to these songs that I mentioned, the rivers on that list as well. We shall be free. If he tells you to sing, you sing, you know, you can't not you know, sing along, and it's you know one of the most important songs you know in our history, in our world. It's just it's one that honestly moves you. But you know, I I, I enjoyed that. I, I really enjoyed that very much. And then that night there was the. Um well, actually, I don't I want I don't want to get into the prime time yet because there's one other thing I forgot to mention. Um, as if the musical performances weren't enough that morning, let's also not forget there was. The poet, the poetry of a very talented woman named Amanda Gorman. Now, I actually did not know who she was um, when she went up to the, uh, the podium to speak. She delivered a poem called "The Hill We Climb," and it was a—it's um, about five minutes long and it's 723 words. I'm not going to read all of them. I would like to, but again, that's trying to capture her greatness, and I think that would be very, very difficult. So, I just want to read. Um, A little bit of a free folks when day comes we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid the new dawn blooms as we free it for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it if only we're brave enough to be it and she went from there and she spoke about um growing up as a young african-american woman and you know I'm talking about you know the Senate from slaves and then her dreams for the future and she described America as not broken but simply unfinished and that spoke volumes to me. That spoke you know that we are a country. We're still a very young country. You know in the movie D Two the Body Ducks, the teachers talking to the kids reminds them America's still a teenager compared to other countries. I mean, sometimes we forget that we are still growing. There's still so many things. As a nation, we haven't experienced yet, and that there's so many valleys that we have to go through, and there's so many hills we have to climb. But we will get to success and to the promised land. But it takes all of us working together, and it takes us attempting to understand each other, and especially in this crazy, crazy pandemic that we're living in, and it's a crazy, crazy time that we're living in, and. I know that we're not we're unsure of when it's going to end and when we're going to get back to a sense of normalcy but one thing that I can hope for is that we're more connected as a nation that we are not going to go back to where we were before then you know scared to connect with people you know putting more locks on our doors you know arming ourselves more cuz we're afraid of the outside world and I speak as someone who has Asperger's I'm not a gun owner but I am someone who, because of my Asperger's, there are times I'm afraid to connect with people or that I want to talk to everybody. I mean, I got, I got people that I work with all voucher that I'm usually the first one to initiate the conversation, but I like, um, I do like connecting with people, but I also know that, you know, we have to understand each other and we have to listen a little more. I, I'd like to think that this pandemic has taught us that. I'm hoping that that beautiful celebration of America, um, did that for us. And it didn't stop in the daytime. I I was going to segue into the uh, prime time person a little too, um, quickly, but I wanted to make sure I gave uh, mention to Amanda, by the way, she also has a wonderful, wonderful book of poetry out called, I want to make sure I uh, pull that up real quick. Where's the book? Here we go. Uh, the book is called, uh, where is that? It's here. Um, the One for Whom Food is Not Enough, and that was released in 2015. Uh, if you like that pull on the hill we climb, I would highly recommend you pick up that one as well. You will not be disappointed. Um, I didn't tell my father-in-law about it because he recites poetry and he, he composes it very well. We're, we're trying to get him back on the Aspie Files as well. I know that's uh, going to be a challenge because he's also writing a book about his family, so he's not been writing as much poetry, but... I told him whenever you got a poem, uh, Richard, you b- bring it on, sir. Cause we would love, love to have you on. Um, but now we can segue into the primetime special. Now we can talk about, you know, the other part of the celebration of America that I was excited for. And that was the celebration of America's music. I, um, now I was talking to my friend, Sean, who's going to interview me. Um, for this podcast, and we'll tell you more about that, as I said, in time. Um, just want to make sure we get all the details out there perfectly. Um, what I took away from that special that uh, Tom did, uh, Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors in the world, and we're going to talk about him a little bit later in the podcast as well. What I learned from that event that he hosted is we're a lot more alike than we are different and you look at just the spe- the musicians that performed they um you got country up there, you got rock and roll, you got soul, you got pop. And I've said that's that's honestly what America is as a whole if you really really think about it. We're a little bit country, we're a little bit rock and roll, we're a little bit soul and I said we're a dash-a-pop. I said that we're a dash-a-pop. We might not want to admit that we are a dash-a-pop, but the truth is we are. I mean, you know, Demi Lovato did Lovely Day by Bill Withers, one of the greatest songs I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I first heard that song Luther Vandross said that on his last album, Dance With My Father. And, ooh, pardon me, folks. Um, When I hear that song, I am reminded that, you know, There are brighter days ahead that we are going to get through this crazy pandemic that we're living through, that we are going to um, destroy hate in our lifetime. We are going to um, feed the hungry of the world and that we are going to clothe the naked and we're going to help those who are homeless and help them find, you know, a forever home. We're going to make this world a better place. Bruce Springsteen opened the event with uh, Land of Hope and Dreams, which is off his wonderful album, uh, Wrecking Ball, which came out, oh God, 2012. I remember when that came out. And I remember when um, We Take Care of Our Own was um, Barack Obama's anthem on his re-election campaign. That was a great song. I always like that. And Land of Hope and Dreams, it was really, really um, just moving in so many ways. And... Um, the Foo Fighters did their classic uh, "Times Like These," which I've been hearing a lot more of uh, since um, Saturday, they were on Saturday Night Live with Dave Chappelle um, hosting. He hosted uh, right after the election, and I remember. Um, here, were you all right there? Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> right. pick that up. There you go. <laughs> it's all right, camera crew, just drop something there. It's all good. <laughs> Nothing broken. No, they said nothing broken. Good, okay. Um, no, I had never heard Times Like These. And I remember hearing it and I thought to myself, oh my God, this is really good. This is a really, really good song. And I could relate to it as much then as when it first came out in, when did Times Like These come out? Let's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pull up. Here we go. Times Like These came out, oh God, 2003 that came out. Yeah, um, it's from their album One by One. And I just remember hearing it and the way they performed it there was how they performed on Saturday Night Live. You had, you know, a little bit of instrumentation, but Dave Grohl's wonderful vocals just sold it in the beginning. Absolutely sold it. And then the band comes in. Oh, my God. And I love that. There's an element of surprise, which I think there should be in every, in every form of music. There should be a bit of... Surprise, and you're not sure what's going to come next. But, you know, I was moved by that. I was moved by um, uh, John Legend taking on Nita Simone, I thought, his um, rendition of... I want to make sure I say this song right. I have to say, I'd heard that song... um goes... Uh, Feeling Good, Feeling Good's the name of the song. We, You know, the song goes, Bird flying high. You've probably heard it many, many times, but have you ever heard a song that you really like and then the first thought that comes into your head was, oh my God, I love that song, but I don't know the title. I don't know who recorded it first uh, or who's best known for it. Um, and Tim McGraw did a new song with, am um, sure. I sure? This is how much I prepare for this, folks. It, it, it happened so quickly that I'm, uh, Tyler Hubbard from um, Florida Georgia Line. He um, They did a new song called Undivided. And I, I just thought that was terrific as well. What moved me the most was some of the artists did their songs, but a lot of them did covers of other people's work. And I think in that moment, it was very beautiful to see, you know, it not be about them. You know, people have this perception that celebrities are all about themselves. That's not true. There's plenty of them that really, really do care about this world. And the fact that they showed up for this event knowing that our world is going into a better place and wanting that for their children and for the future of our country and knowing that Katy Perry closed with fireworks and she just became a new mom not that long ago. You know, I, I've got, I have hope I'm, I've always become, and I've always been an optimist, but seeing that event, you know, maybe even more so. And, um, Dad, I think you would have liked it. And um, I know some of the artists you would have been asking me about, and I would have had to explain about each one of them. Um, I think you would have liked John Legend the most. I think you would have really liked hearing him on that piano and hearing him just soar through the air. But um, that's what I enjoyed seeing the most. I enjoyed seeing, you know, pure, patriotic um, talent and our world being celebrated. I mean, as I said, every race, every demographic, every religion, everyone was celebrated that day. And it's best not to forget that we're a lot more alike than we are different. And I'm very confident on the direction that our world is going. And, um, you know, um, stay tuned. I, uh, I think you're going to like what we're going to see next. ladies and gentlemen I'm going to be on TV soon yes yes I said it I said it right here I'm going to be uh, interviewed by my friend Sean Martinelli who works at uh, NBC2 in Fort Myers Uh, he and uh, Sebastian who uh, the thump you heard earlier was his camera that fell on the floor Um, they are doing a profile of me for a segment called Story to Share and Story to Share is about everyday people doing extraordinary things in Southwest Florida and Sean has been a fan of my podcast since the beginning and uh, he asked if we could do a, a story on it. I uh, said, absolutely, I'd love to. And that's going to air uh, a little bit later uh, in time. Sean um, said a couple of weeks. I will let you know exactly the date when uh, it airs. So that way you guys can see it. Uh, but we really hope you tell all your friends about that and about the podcast. Because honestly, it is for all of you that we were able to make this podcast uh, awesome and compelling and interesting and funny and a go-to for you whether it's at dinner time or whether it's after you get off work or if you're getting your morning walk in if you're taking the dog for a walk there's chestnut hi chestnut Chestnut's sitting next to me she's wondering what's daddy up to well daddy's uh doing his podcast and um yeah so we're excited for that and i hope you all uh enjoy that interview and we'll let you know uh, when that airs I want to close this uh, podcast by, uh, paying tribute to one of my heroes, uh, someone who honestly, without him, none of this is possible. He was the goat. He was the best. There will never be another, um, Lawrence Harvey Zeiger, known to the rest of the world as Larry King, uh, passed away over the, uh, weekend. He was 87 years old. He had been battling, um, among other many things, COVID-19, um, which he'd been hospitalized for um, since the beginning of this year. Um, and um, I'll just say this, that I'm I'm going to miss him and I'm going to, you know, carry on his legacy, as I promised um, friends of mine that know, that people that know anything about me know that Larry is one of my heroes and that he was the best at this. And he made the talk show fun. He made the interview Fun. He made them unpredictable and non-confrontational. He made it as if you were talking to a friend, that someone you could trust. Whether the situation was great, whether the situation was challenging, Larry was our guy. And at a, I will say this: that in a world where cable news was very noisy and confrontational and argumentative, he made it a little calmer and a little more. Um, He turned the chill down a lot. I will say this. A lot of times it was like listening to a jazz record. But I love that. I love that his interview could go in any different direction. And he literally could interview anybody. He could do an episode about UFOs. He could do an episode about mental health. He could do an episode about the afterlife, which he had done. Um, He could interview a world leader one night. He could interview the Muppets one night. He could interview a rock star one night. He could interview a child battling cancer or eternal illness one night. You know, this is the man that interviewed every president from Nixon to Trump. And, you know, journalists from Walter Cronkite to Dan Rather, Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, um, Tim Russert, you know, and Katie Cork, of course. Uh, And he also, he loved interviewing comedians, too. I picked up on that. It seemed like those were his favorite people in the world to talk to, whether it was Bob Hope or Don Rickles or David Letterman or Jay Leno or Conan O'Brien, Craig Ferguson, Seth MacFarlane, Russell Peters. And it's, um, it is a shame that, you know, I always thought when he left CNN in 2010, it was going to be hard, but this is harder. This is just, ugh, this is just, this is, this, is, this is a lot. And I'm going to try to get through this without crying, but bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so anytime we patron someone, I like to go back to the beginning. I want to show everybody you know, where the person came from, what you know, inspired them. Larry King was born, as I said, Lawrence Harvey Zeiger on November 19th, 1933 in Brooklyn, New York. Um, his mother was a garment worker. His father owned a restaurant and worked as in a, a defense plant. Um, his parents immigrated to this country from, uh, Belarus in the 1930s. And, Larry's father died when he was nine. Larry said that that moment in his life, um, greatly affected him he lost interest in his school his family had to go on welfare as larry puts it new york city paid for his first pair of glasses yeah and people that say you know terrible things about welfare it's like yeah well they helped my man larry king be able to see see a microphone be able to read a newspaper be able to you know read a street sign in miami or washington dc or new york or los angeles or wherever he was at the time um ultimately he did finish high school And after a stint of odd jobs, ultimately he met a CBS staff announcer, um, that convinced Larry to come to Miami because there were openings for new broadcasters. And the first gig he got, uh, was at a station called WAHR in Miami beach. And they hired Larry as, I guess the term now would be production assistant, um, T- hired or gopher would be the other term they use and they um, hired him to clean up and perform um, other miscellaneous miscellaneous tasks. but luckily uh, that phrase right place right timing came in handy when a station announcer abruptly quit and Larry on May 1st 1957 went on from 9 a.m to noon on his for the very first time as a, uh, as a broadcaster. Uh, he did two afternoon newscasts and a sports cast and he was paid—you're going to love this, folks—$50 a week. I said, $50 a week? Um, he actually—and people are going to probably wonder me, how did he go from being Larry Ziger to Larry King? Well, the general manager said, well, I can't use the name Ziger. People aren't going to be able to pronounce it, and people won't remember it. So uh, Larry um, was looking at the uh, Miami Herald, uh, and there was an ad that said, King's Wholesale Liquor, and— um, Ultimately, he became Larry King, and um, by the end of the 50s, he had legally changed his name to Larry King. And, you know, over time, he found a following in Miami Beach. Um, his first celebrity interview was Bobby Darren. Now, that happened while he was working for a station called WIOD, and it was broadcast from Pumpernick's Restaurant in Miami Beach and you know interview everyday people that would come in people that worked on the staff and two days after he started doing that um, he interviewed Bobby Darren, and ultimately that gave him an in and then um, along with radio he began hosting a program called Miami Undercover it aired Sunday nights at 1130 this was in May of 1960 on WPST TV now WPLG. Um, He moderated debates on local issues as well. And it was this... It was this slow progression of fame that led him to become friends with another broadcaster, a broadcaster comedian. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. I'm trying to get through this. Bear with me here. Um, He became friends with, uh, at the time, one of the biggest comedians in the country, Jackie Gleason who had a variety show and at the time it was being broadcast from Miami Beach and Larry and Jackie became very, very close and as I mentioned on a previous episode it was Gleason that got uh, Larry the ultimate interview and that was with Frank Sinatra in 1964 and what he also did for Larry was he showed King a sense of timing a sense of presentation as a matter of fact they um um, um, TV, they did a TV interview together. And during the interview, um, Gleason didn't like the set. So they broke into the general manager's office. They changed the set, the lighting, everything, the furniture, everything. The other advice he gave Larry was to take off your jacket and be yourself. And it was, it was from that, that Larry took that advice and ultimately he, um, he began to continue growing like a rocket, and it was by 1978. Larry got an even bigger opportunity, and that was to work nationally. Now he goes from working in Miami, Florida, to working na- nationally on a broadcast called, on on ultimately became the Larry King Show on Mutual, brought on the Mutual Broadcasting System, and um. It began Monday through Friday's uh, midnight to 5.30 a.m. And Larry would interview a guest for 90 minutes. And then callers would... um, The interview would continue for another 90 minutes with callers coming in. um, For 90 minutes. And then at 3 a.m., the Open Phone America was called. And they literally did that segment. And people would come in and, you know, say what they wanted to say and ask questions. And then it was at the end of the program where Larry began to express his real opinions. And I know because when um, Larry um, did, a pro, did a profile for 60 Minutes in 1982 with Mike Wallace, they actually went into the, um, the 60 Minutes crew. They went into his the radio station with him that he worked at. And they got to see Larry uh, at work expressing how he felt. And some of, I will say this, he, was never, he never was like, Bernie Sanders radical, but he was, um, he was honest. He was, you know, he was who he was. And, um, I think people respect that about Larry. You knew who he was, you knew what he liked, but he was never vicious about things he didn't like. He was just, you know, he was more, he was more open to what brought us together as a group. And I always admire that about, um, about Larry and, you know, from that progression in his career, ultimately Larry King Live was born in June of 1985. He got a call from Ted Turner, the head of CNN, and Lowe became one of the best talk show, I think the best talk show, you know, that aired at night um, that I've ever seen. And they aired from 9 to 10 p.m. from 1985 until 2010. I know because it was a part of my middle school years, my high school years, my college, and the first couple years of my college uh, years and in the beginning it was known as a helm for you know movie stars and comedians and you know celebrities who were famous and semi-famous but honestly the thing that really really put Larry into superstardom he was pretty well known by that time but by 1982 ultimately it was a billionaire from Texas named Ross Perot we ran for president um, against uh bill clinton and then president george hw bush um of course bill clinton being the at the time he was the governor of arkansas um and perot you know he was colorful and he was interesting and compelling and he made people listen i know i had a friend of mine uh who i went to college with uh, i haven't spoken to him in a while but i knew him from one of my classes he told me he voted for perot in 1992 and i went Really, And so our conversations were always interesting. Um, We're always interesting that way. I can safely say that. Um, And, you know, it was my go-to program for a long, for that period of time, you know, middle school, high school years until, you know, 2010 when uh, Larry stepped down from CNN. But, you know, from that show at least. Um, And I can safely say that... um, It was awesome. And then a world again where, you know, you got O'Reilly and Hannity on this side, and then you got, you know, Chris Matthews and Joe Scarborough on that side. Yet Larry, you know, Larry of the corner, and he was, you know, witty and charming. And he managed to get through the day's events when the world was on fire uh, with ease. He was able to at least talk about what was going on and at least it was in a professional manner and but it was still honest it was professional it was honest but nobody had to hate each other and I think that's what's missing in our um in our world of broadcasting and that's one of the things that I um that I always liked about Larry was his sense of dignity and his sense of kindness and his humor and he always made things interesting but he was always he was always um a pro at every at at, at, at how he handled um handled the talk show that he did so well. And I thought, honestly, after he left CNN, I wondered what was going to happen to him next. But ultimately, um, a man named Carlos Slim, the, um, who's um who owned a company called Aura, he, off, he ultimately, um, offered Larry a, um, a gig. And that was Larry King Now, which, um, I started Want, which aired, which premiered on July 17th, 2012, and Larry's first guest was his old friend Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy and American Dad and The Cleveland Show, and at the time, uh, Seth was promoting a wonderful, wonderful movie that he had directed called Ted. If you have not seen Ted, ladies and gentlemen, you definitely need, need to see that. I'd, I'd highly recommend it. It's, um... It's funny. It's raw. It is out of this world, and I'm I'm really glad that Larry gave that man, gave Seth, um, um a full court for that. He really deserved it, and he showed Larry how to draw Stewie. They talked about um, how Seth got started in animation, and you know, probably some things Seth didn't want to get into, but he always had a good sense of humor about. Um, and you know, the great thing with Larry King now, even though it wasn't live, and people. Watch the show was sent in social media questions. I know I was. That some of those questions came from me. I remember um, certain guests that were on there. Uh, Tim McGraw, I sent in a question, got asked on the air. Rob Lowe, question got asked on the air. Ryan Seacrest, question got asked on the air. No, um, Issa ray was on there too, promoting Insecure, and I asked if uh, her co-creator Larry Wilmore would ever make a uh, appearance. And now that *Insecure* is about to go into their last season, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. But the guests continue to pile up. People wanted to sit down with Larry. And the format went from an hour to 30 minutes. But it was still my go-to. And the great thing is is because it was on Aura and it was on Hulu, I could literally watch it whenever. So I went from having to be at my uh, office, be in my chair at 9 9 p.m. or at midnight when they would air the the reruns. I could just watch it whenever they dropped it. So whenever they dropped it, I'd either watch it like during like dinner break, or I'd watch it before I went to bed. I mean, just both interviews were just absolutely fant, were just absolutely fantastic. It was like one after the other, after the other, after the other, and you know. But again, they set the bar very high by starting with Seth. He really was um, he was a great first guest, Um, and then he brought in Politicking which um, was sort of a uh, how do i say this it was a new show but i always said it was so much better than you know meet the than face the nation or this week on abc or, or meet the or meet the press and i say that in the sense that um, a lot of the guests that were on the show i don't know how many of them could have been on on network television just because for whatever reason they're so polarizing, some of the guests that Larry would have on. Uh, particularly Jake uger from The Young Turks or Jess Prager, Radio Talk Show Host, and a Prager U. Um, you know, Jerry Springer was on his show quite a few times too. And I will say this, people forget, you know, Jerry Springer was um you know the Jerry, Jerry, Jerry for so many years, but people forget he was before Mayor Cincinnati, Ohio, and you know. He'd been a news anchor as well. So he had quite a he had quite an interesting take on the world. I will say that. So, But I guess my point I'm trying to make here in all this is that Larry, to me, was the guy that kept it moving. He kept everything interesting. And he never really slowed down. You know, he was married eight times. He had five children. He had grandchildren. He had great-grandchildren as well. But he managed to, you know, always bring out the best in every in every show that he did and he kept me a fan for you know for so many years and i'm i'm gonna miss him i'm gonna miss his kindness i'm gonna miss his humor. and um larry we're all of us that do uh broadcasting whether it's on television or radio or podcasting like i'm doing we're gonna continue to make you proud i promise you that larry um and you know life goes on and um I promise we'll continue to make you proud, sir. You have my word on that. We'll miss you very. Um, so I'd like to close this episode. Uh, as I always say, have that glass of wine. Read that book that you've been wanting to read. Call your mom. Call your dad. Uh, tell them you love them. Because you, you may not know how much time you have left with them. Um, we love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Aspie Files. And we will see you next time. And Chestnut needs a walk. <laughs> Take care, folks.